Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Musings with Yo-Yo. Today, I am here with my guest, Robin Ludi. She used to be my supervisor. I mean, I guess I started already telling you how we know each other. So regardless, we'll talk about it still. Um, and I'm excited to have you. You live in Vancouver. Um, and we usually do check-ins anyway. So this has been, this is another check-in that we're having. And I wanted to have you on as a guest, one, because I look to you a lot as a mentor. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but I truly, truly look to you a lot as a mentor. And when I think about my career and just life goals, um, you stand out to me. So I'm excited to have you on. How are you doing, Robin? I am good. I'm very excited to be here and a little bit nervous and uh, honored to be uh, considered one of your many mentors in your books. And um, yeah, I, I'm good. How are you, Yoyo? I'm doing good. This is what week week three in Toronto. I got here early August. Um, yeah, so I'm doing good adjusting to Toronto little by little. I had um, I have a funny story for you. I want to hear your reactions live. That's why I didn't tell you this before. <laughs> but um, uh -oh. Uh -oh. it's not that intense. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I so last week I got a UTI. Um, and I've had them, I've had it before. I remember the first time I ever heard is when I had it when I worked at like Target and I've like worked 10 hours, like 10 to 12 hours in a stretch and just like not take care of myself. Anyway, I thought for sure I was going to have it on the road trip because I was like, when you travel and all this kind of stuff, there's many reasons why you have it. Anyway, randomly had it last week. Um, and I was like, you know what? I know what this is. This is the most uncomfortable thing. I was in, uh, I was in a meet. Okay. Did you hear that large honk? <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, I was in a meeting. I had to pee like three times in that meeting. So I was like, okay, time for me to try to figure out this doctor situation. Cranberry juice is not going to work. Um, and then, so I started off trying to get to a walk-in clinic, but because of COVID, um, you can't mm -hmm. walk into clinics. You have to book appointments, things like that. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll try to find a walk-in clinic that I can book an appointment, try to get a virtual session or whatever it is. Um, and then eventually uh, I found this thing called telehealth, called them. So this is probably like two hours into me trying to figure out what to do because there was nowhere really I could go. And I'm t I don't know what it is in the Toronto air. This is probably the worst UTI I've ever had. Um, and called them and then she was like, oh, okay, I'll give you this number. Call them. They don't take BC health cards for some reason. And I have not gotten my Ontario health card. Um, so. No. Yeah, so then I just didn't know what to do. Will and I had had an argument the night before, so I didn't want to ask him for help. <laughs> but then I got to the point where I was like, I really <laughs> need help. Yo -yo. So I can stubborn. do it on my own. <laughs> so petty. So I was like, okay, at this point, my body is not interested in this argument. So I messaged Will, and then he sent me, um, he helped me find another place where they do take a BC health card. So anyway, I call them. Perfect. She asked me all the questions, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a pharmacy right by my house, so she faxed it over there or said they were gonna fax the prescription over there. So I was like, perfect, I'll go in like an hour because I know sometimes it takes a while for prescriptions to get ready. Um, and then, so in an hour, got ready to go. And I started walking uh, down like just the hall of the apartment. I was like, I need to go back and pee. So I was like, okay, run back, go pee. Turns out I locked myself out of the apartment. Oh. Yeah. Locked myself out of the apartment. I didn't know how else to get, and I only have the one set of keys. Um, so I'm gonna make another set, uh, lesson number one. And so locked myself out, and I was like, I don't know. I'm crying at this point. I don't know what to do. 
What did eventually, you do? So eventually I walked out and uh, luckily I'm one of those people who can make friends with anybody. And I had already made friends with some people in the building and literally walked outside and one of them was outside barbecuing. So I was like, I'm going to need help. I know that one of the windows in the apartment is open. Oh my God. So I was like, I need you. And this is second floor apartment. <laughs> I'm wearing a dress. Like, it's just like not a good situation. Second floor apartment is like, I'm going to climb into this window and I need you to help me hold this chair while I go in. Get there. Oh my, I'm so glad that I bumped into her. Get there, jump into the window somehow. She's like, just jump in, girl. Just jump in. I was like, I can't like, not a basketball shot. Like if I jump in and miss, like I'm falling down two floors. <laughs> um, eventually made it the good thing about being six feet tall is that my arms can reach things yeah. and like I was like I've been working on my arm strength so we're gonna work on this pulled myself in it was a whole thing yeah and then finally made it in I have never locked myself out of the apartment since then eventually got to the pharmacist so to the pharmacy they hadn't sent in the facts oh, for my prescription like so it was off in the moment I was like are you serious like everything that can go wrong right now is going wrong they hadn't sent in the fax. Um, eventually called the place to send it in. In that time I was there, I was like, I need to, like, you don't understand. I'm going to need to pee, like, five times while I'm here. She's like, it's okay, I understand. Feel free to use it. It's very clean. Nobody uses this washroom. People aren't allowed, but I understand. I'll let you use it. Um, eventually got my prescription. It was awesome when I finally got it. But the whole process, I was just like, why is everything not working out today? I was very upset, and I was crying the whole time. It was it was not a fun situation. What was the universe so, trying to teach you in that moment, Yo-Yo? Let's think about that. What was it trying to teach me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Toronto. I don't know. Maybe it's teaching me to like apply for my Ontario health card or something. I don't know. One thing I did find though is that um, the healthcare professionals here are very non-judgmental. Um, yeah, they were very. I remember the, that, that first time I got my UTI at Target, they, it was just like, you, they just assumed I was being careless or something. I don't know what it was. And I was, this is the first time I've had healthcare professionals treat me that way. I was very impressed with that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So that's been my first few weeks in Toronto. Adjusting that was a nice city. opening story. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice story. It could honestly be a sitcom episode, like just everything that goes wrong. At every turn, something goes wrong. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Even like when I was crossing the street, waiting for the light to turn red for the cars. I'm like, this is the longest green light, light. the cars have ever had. Like, I just want to cross the street. Anyway, I made it through. I'm here. I'm happy. I'm living. But uh, you're, you're yeah. on. You're on your drugs. You feel better. You're not peeing. Feel anytime. much better. So much better. Um, okay. So now that I've told everybody about my life, uh, how do we know each other, Robin? Um, well, Yo-Yo, we know each other. Um, in <clears throat> the summer of 2016, I um, started a new job at UBC and. Um, unfortunately I didn't hire you. So that's, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that is sad for me, but we got to know it. I think you had started a few months before me. Yeah. Probably like two, two months, months before, before me. Mm -hmm. Um, so you were part of, um, the team that I was working with. And, um, I believe that was the day you got your Canadian, you took your, um, Canadian citizenship test, yeah. right? <laughs> day, but I, I remember uh, that was really soon after I started, and um, I think I had put a Canadian flag on your on your desk and a little hat or something yes. like that. Yeah, anyway, Canadian pin. 
Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, we know each other from our work at UBC together. Yeah, so you were my supervisor for two years, and now we're friends and colleagues and all of that. And we were on the same, we were on the same team that won the 2018 UBC Staff and Faculty Sports Day, if anybody needs to know. Whoa, stats. Like, let's just keep that, (laughs) even tell you what year it was, but I'm guessing 2018, I think that was the year, or 2017, one of those two years. Yeah, was it definitely in between my bait, like my children? So, yeah, I just that was hilarious. That was the funniest. Are we competitive? We're competitive. We're competitive. And I, I thrown my back out and was like, yeah, I'm just gonna like I'll do the easier activities and then that last inflatable castle. I was like, get out of the way! And like through. We that. have to win this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kim was like. It's your back out like what are you doing <laughs> anyway that was yeah let letting you see you really see true personalities and like um attributes really shine through with your colleagues when you put them in a competitive environment anyway mm-hmm. that was really fun mm-hmm. and we won it was fantastic so <laughs> and we won everything <laughs> the most important part we won <laughs> yeah um yeah so as you said we know each other from a work context you're actually probably you're probably actually one of the hardest workers I know um, and super ambitious. So I remember when you first started and you had our team retreat, like, we're going to do all these things in my mind. I'm like, I'm going to do what? Like, this is, this is an ambitious goal. Like, I'm here for it, but I don't know how I would, I don't know if I would, uh, if I assume you will achieve this. And we actually achieved quite a lot of the goals that you had and more. Um, so you've also been a very good leader and driver. Um, I don't know. Do you consider yourself ambitious? Do you describe yourself as that? I don't think I've ever used the word, that word to describe my own self, but lots of people I know and respect around me have used that word to describe me. Um, I'm not sure why I don't have a connection to that word. Mm -hmm. I think I probably have more of a connection to drive. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why, but I think that I... um, I drive for more and better. And I think some of one of my, a few of my values that are at the top of my list are challenge and possibility. Hmm. And so I think those two values really um, push me to be better and do better. And a lot of it is individual. Um, Like I'm very individually internally motivated. um, And I've worked over the years to try to influence those around me to come along for the ride um I'm not sure um I mean you came along with me so I could say that okay I'm working on that but um yeah yeah I don't think ambition I don't have that that strong of a connection to the word but I think drive Mm -hmm. yeah when you think of the word ambitious what uh what do you think of and why do you so I have, okay, when I, I used, I never described myself as ambitious. I think we read a book and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But until I read that book, I would never have described myself as ambitious, probably not even driven. Um, so why do you think the word ambition throws you off a little bit? I'm not sure, but the question that you had originally asked, what do you think of when you think about the word ambitious? And um I'm big on intuition, right? So my gut, immediately when you said, what do you think of when you think of the word ambitious? I think about a white woman in a power suit. True. And so I don't wear power suits. (laughs) I am a white woman. Um, But I think about the rat race, you know? Like I think about the, um, 
climbing the proverbial career ladder. I think about the grind. I think about, um, I don't know. And I think maybe for me, what the difference for me internally between ambition and drive, and this is, I have no explanation for this. Drive for me is like, I'm internally motivated. And for me, my professional self and my personal self are very much intertwined mm. uh, and for better or for worse. And I think when you find a, um, a professional role or position that you really believe in and can see value in the work, it doesn't become, like I'm not motivated by the titles or the salary. Mm. And when you find um, and connect with a job or career path that is really intertwined and connected to your own internal values, I think that it shifts a little bit. It's not always about the proverbial, climbing the proverbial ladder. It's about doing better and advancing the work. And I think mm. that's what drives me. When I think ambition, I think of the like, you know, the hamster wheel and like, yeah. What's the next step? And then I'm yeah. a director, associate, and then I'm blah, 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 associate yeah. director, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like never enough. You're just always going yeah. to do something else. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I agree with yeah. that. I agree with that uh, notion or the idea of just driving to be better or be driven and things like that. I was actually going to ask you what drives you. So you kind of answered that. But um, like I was saying, I, I consider you a very hard worker. I think you, you usually stand out as being hardworking. Um, was there have you always noticed that you are probably one of the most hardworking in the room? And what was that like when you, when you eventually realized that? That's a very interesting question. Um, mm. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, as a kid, my parents um, were very much like, okay, try anything you want, right? Like you want to try but, uh, girl guides, you want to try ballet, you want to try whatever, do everything, experience mm -hmm. everything, and then decide which things that you really want to like work hard and, 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 you know, get better in. And I guess, you know, ballet was the one thing that I started really early as a kid. So like three, the mommy and me classes mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then I guess around grade seven, like, so junior high school, I, I went to school in Ontario. So we had junior, we had grade six and then we had grade seven and eight and then nine to, um, I did OAC in Ontario. What's um, OAC? Grade 13. Okay. <laughs> Got rid of it now. It's a, anyway, it doesn't matter. Podcast okay. could be entirely about that and the education system, but it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was probably around that time, grade seven. I don't know how old I was, I guess. Is that 14 or 13 or something like that? And when I really started to put a lot more time into ballet mm -hmm. um, and I started to take double classes. So I skipped grades because I was doing my um, Royal Academy of Dance RAD training and okay. I skipped a grade and really like, and I could just see myself getting so much better. And, but I knew that I was getting better because I was working hard. Like I was in the studio all the time. And um, I guess that's kind of when I noticed and I started um, the friends that I'd had along the way. I didn't have any more because I had skipped a grade and kept moving ahead. Mm. Um, and I guess that's when I kind of noticed like, okay, like I'm, this is different than what everyone else is doing. Like I am working and pushing myself and I enjoyed it to a point. Now I quit when I was uh, just before I ended high school for a whole series of reasons. Mm. Um, 
but then, you know, when I think back about my, uh, to my childhood too, I was always a really studious um, student, probably mostly in high school, less so in elementary and, and, and junior high, but I, re I really worked hard at school and um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed some subjects better than others, but yeah. I, um, I got really good grades. I was a keen student, but I didn't utilize like in class time. I was a very social student, mm. talked too much. I was a student with a desk, desk in the hallway because I talked too much. Oh, but wow. Always, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I always got good grades. The teachers had this like love-hate relationship with me. Um, but going back to the point of your question, um, I don't think I'm brilliant or that smart. I just worked really hard to get good grades. I remember calculus isn't something that comes naturally to me, but I wanted to be good at it. So I took the extra, I went, always went to my math teacher's office hours. He came over, he, this is like terrible. I love, he was one of my mentors, unfortunately he passed it now, but he's one of my mentors, Mr. Stickney. And he just, he, I, I guess he saw that I was working really hard. And so he mm. put the effort in me and helping mm. me because I was working and doing what he was asking. And um, I remember um, we developed a closer relationship and I was always in his office and, you know, was labeled a nerd by my peers because of it. Um, I mean, there were other reasons, but that was one of them. Anyway, he had come over for dinner one night. For oh, oh, wow. Like that much help. <laughs> yeah, like that much help. <laughs> I ended up getting, I think I got like 93 or 94 in calculus. Anyway, and I continued taking finite and algebra and trig and stuff like that. Um, Anyway, yeah, going back to your question, I guess, you know, I started realizing ballet when I sort of started skipping grades and started mm -hmm. doing really well and, and competing, I started realizing, okay, I have the work ethic to really push myself. And then, you know, in math and calculus, I can also use that same and apply that same work ethic to, mm -hmm. um, to get better. So I guess that's kind of when I kind of realized yeah, you're um, you talking about actually being hardworking and just wanting to be good at something. I don't know if you've ever uh, if you read Becoming by Michelle Obama, but she talks a lot about how her yeah how her brother was naturally gifted and everything, and she's like I had to work extra hard for all this stuff. It kind of sounds very similar. Oh yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think of myself now like <laughs> you are Michelle and she is you. I always think about myself as her. Um, <laughs> One of the things you said, though, was that uh, you found that you, like, as you were skipping grades or doing things like that, you were leaving some of the friends that you had, um, and you were getting new friends that weren't coming along or things like that. Have you ever felt bad for being that driven? I don't think I've <clears throat> felt bad, mm -hmm. but it's been hard. Mm -hmm. um, I think, too, in my professional life, um, you know, I've received, a f I have received a few internal promotions, mm -hmm. um, where I have been promoted, um, and still maintained the same peer group, um, mm. professionally. And, and that's been challenging, um, navigating and reestablishing relationships, um, in a different position. Right. Um, when you, when you have a position of power, when you didn't bef before that, that has been challenging. Um, and you get you get labeled as you know a, a goodie, a keener, golden child, all of mm -hmm. these terms. Um, so I think I, I I don't I've never felt bad, but there's there's been challenges that have been associated with being um, driven and um, 
yeah, I don't, yeah. I've learned so much through those challenges though. I don't, yeah. I don't, they've taught me a lot. So, yeah. um, how do you navigate those challenges or how did you navigate those challenges when they first came up? A lot of the challenges are interpersonal. And so, um, I relied, <laughs> you know, I work on my people skills, right? Um, <laughs> Um, socially inclined or in tune to, you know, interpersonal dynamics. Um, but when those challenges have arised, I've leveraged um, individual relationships with people that I respect. And um, uh, I'm way better one-on-one -on -one than I, well, it depends. But I think that I um, am more comfortable one-on-one, -on -one, um, sort of unpacking difficult situations or challenges. So, um, and I'm not afraid of conflict. Um, I'd much rather deal with it um, head on and talk about the difficult things than, than sort of skip around it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that that's been my strategy. I, I've sort of connected where appropriate with people to say, hey, like, this feels weird. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, and sometimes it's gone well and sometimes it hasn't. But I, I think that there hasn't been a professional relationship that I've wanted to keep that I haven't kept okay. at this point. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. And I think the focus on also just seeing the individuals too, beyond just the fact that like now I have this higher, higher power job or whatever, like you're still like, there's the individual that's, that's you beyond that. Um, and I sometimes will find that with colleagues, they'll, look at you as just that kind of like your colleague that's your identity and they don't maybe think about you as holistically um of a person so for example like i don't think i've even ever asked you how you met josh or things like that like you know like mm -hmm. you are you are a mom and your wife and all these kind of things so sometimes it's harder to see the holistic person and how it all intertwines um yeah that's a, yeah that's a good point and then one of the things you were also saying earlier was uh you find that your your personal and your professional life uh, overlap quite a fair bit. Um, and it makes me think about this book we read called Ambition Decisions. Um, and for context, yes, hold it up, Robin, because of course you are always prepared. I told you I would talk about this and you brought it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just in case, I wanted to have it. Just in case, <laughs> yeah. So you can flip through the pages. We never actually did a proper debrief or a book club type of debrief on it. But um, for context, Ambition Decisions is... Um, a book written by these two authors who went to Northwestern University. Um, so there is very much a lot of privilege in the lens. Northwestern is a highly reputable school, that kind of stuff. So you're, a lot of the people they have interviewed in the, for this book are people who were kind of predestined to have uh, success in their careers anyway. But essentially they interviewed some of their colleagues or some of their peers in their university to see how far they've come in their careers I think it was like 20 or 10 years after uh, graduation and they had different groups. So there are the groups of those who were super ambitious people. There were the groups of those who were kind of like flexor between ambition and not. And then there were those who they would describe as fully focused on like their personal lives and not necessarily careers ambition. That's my, that's my summary of it. And um, they go over things like how they manage the day to day. So for example, if they're with a spouse who's also super ambitious or if they're with a spouse who is, similar to them or they even highlighted uh some of their peers who were breadwinning um women mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. which is again as much as we talk about gender equality and stuff like that we are far away from that in the world of 
um, in the world that we're in, or people just don't talk about it as much. So mm -hmm. I found it interesting. Anyway, I have talked a lot. This is my interview with you. Um, so oh, I know we turns briefly out shared Yo Yo's musings on herself. Yo Yo's musings her on opinions. herself. Yeah, yeah her <laughs> own opinions. Um, but I know we briefly talked about it. But are there parts in the book that really stood out to be absolutely true for you in your life, in your day to day? I mean, I think these books are always, you know, I think we did talk a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was an interesting book because it um, sort of highlights different concepts or topics and different perspectives. And as you mentioned, a very, not a very diverse set of perspectives on this, um, but it highlights one set of perspectives. Um, and I find it, you know, when things are so, when you take a a concept that's very complex, um, such as ambition and the decisions in this case women make in their career and life, and and, and simplify it into these these buckets of flex lifer and all these things. Mm -hmm. You know, you simplify it for understanding, and and I get the author's decision to do that, right? To bring folks into the conversation, and I think these kind of books, there's not ever you're not like yes everything, mm -hmm. but there are some things that make you go huh. I think about that or what, yeah. do I, what do I think about that and that's interesting and so um I think for me my biggest sort of musing <laughs> um from the book and the research that was done was I've never really thought about ambition shared within a family mm. and whether or not, you know, you internalize things to make sense of them first, right? So I immediately think of my relationship with my partner, mm -hmm. Josh. And I would say, you know, both of us are very driven to be successful in, in our respective um, fields and careers. And I, I don't really think this has, no, I read this when I had one child, I think, right. not two. Um, and so I, I don't think I'd really noticed the toll that having two driven, um, adults in a family can have. And I've definitely now, you know, my youngest is two in a bit and I'm seeing that strain now. Mm -hmm. Um, that could be COVID and the pandemic <laughs> that we're in, but yeah. I do think that, that there are trade-offs as you, you know, Josh and I have been together since 2000 and four, five, a long time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We've navigated, right? Like he graduated before I did and then had a startup. He started working before me and then left that company and pursued um, uh, his own business and launched his own business. And we have kind of traded off. And then I taught right after graduating in the school system and then mm -hmm. came to UBC. And then when I did my master's degree, like we were always trading off. Um, but what's interesting is that when we brought children into the equation. Then I started to see a like, okay, you know, um, the unarticulate, what is the word? I'm not unarticulated, but sort of the emotional labor that often mm. women have to take on with respect to children in the home. Um, some of the work isn't always stated, right? And so you, yeah. you know, you work you're nine to five and I have a consulting or, you know, company on the side. So I have mm -hmm. my side hustle and then I have the responsibilities that I have as a mother and sort of, you know, the responsibilities that I have as a wife kind of are like, okay, right. Where are those? And where are mm -hmm. the responsibilities myself? And they kind of all get lost in this equation. And when you 
when you have an identity that is so um, connected to a professional self-concept, right. um, it becomes a bit more challenging because then what does success look like? And then you start thinking mm. like, okay, well, my success in my job doesn't equate to my success at home and right. success as a wife and a mom. And so you have to like renegotiate all of these sort of self-concepts. And I've done it where I've compartmentalized all those Mm -hmm. Like what is success as a professional click and as me and as a wife and as a mom. Mm. And it's really hard. And I don't think you can't compartmentalize yourself. You know, we, yeah. you, know, you and I and our work, you know, talk a lot about intersectionality. And um, so you have to kind of renegotiate what success in life looks like. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's consistent throughout life. It changes, you know, we continually mm. evolve as human beings. We're always in a state of becoming in the world and, I think you always have to renegotiate what success looks like for you. And frankly, yeah. what success looks like for you and your partner, if you have a partner together, you and your kids need to like mm. talk about what does success in our home look like? Um, mm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Do you so talk to the kids about ball. <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. I have like several things. Do you talk to the kids about what success in the home looks like? You know what? No, I haven't. So, um, you know, as I was saying that too, I was like, I write, write this down because there's stuff that I need to be doing <laughs> for myself. Yeah. Um, I have a, a, a former colleague and, and a friend who, who um, actually I know a few people who do this. They put up their family values mm. and, in the home. So it's like, you know, these, as a family, these are the values that we um, subscribe to or whatever. I would think that that's something that I would like to do. I think... Mm. Oh, this next thing I was going to say is kind of like, you know, it's excusing or, or, or defending the fact that I haven't yet, but I would like to do, have those conversations when my kids are old enough to say what, you know, they're able to contribute to the conversation, Right. but we see things loosely like, you know, we don't wear hats at the dinner table. Like that's really mm. simple. Like we don't speak with our mouth full. Mm. Um, we don't push or shove. Um, we ask nicely, we say, you know, those kind right. of things we haven't actually had. And those are my concepts of right. what family looks like, not my children's. Mm -hmm. So that's not really, yeah, as I'm saying that I'm like, that's not really fair. Like what yeah. are there? I don't know. It's a really good point. I should, you know, there's my homework from today's yeah. conversation. <laughs> I can't imagine what that, like for them to like, we value having dessert after dinner or whatever. You never know what that's going to look like. Right. <laughs> but like having it be an ongoing conversation and even what you were talking about with the ups and downs that might come with uh, a partner. So for example, um, the different kinds of job changes or things like that. My aunt recently actually texted me about just uh, even just the differences between um, when, when she's a breadwinner versus he's the breadwinner versus when this person is like just the not, like how do you adapt to that and um, being flexible with that uh, and talking about, I think for me talking about it is probably one of the things people don't do is like they'll never admit that, um, for example, they make more than their spouse. And this is women most times. And when they make more than their heterosexual spouse. Uh, I don't know why, but <laughs> those are some of the things that uh, have come up or that came up for me when I was reading the book too. Um, so the importance of navigating that. Yeah, communication is a really big thing. And you think you have to have <clears throat> humility and courage in those conversations to have them because they're not light or easy. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they can be, but I've never, I think that Josh and I have a, a pretty solid foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been together for a very long time and have seen ourselves through multiple iterations of our, of who we are and who we want to be in the world. And, 
yeah, I mean, we still have communication challenges and this, this whole idea of ambition and who, who has it. I, I think both um, partners in a family can, can step into that ambition, but the how much um, mm. varies. I think both, both partners, I mean, for speaking for Josh and myself, I think we're both very driven, but our drive has changed mm. and it fluctuates over time. Um, and I think that comes with professional stability as well. Um, mm, what do you mean by that? I mean, like there, I think that my drive sometimes changes when I see potential and I'm going for something in mm. either my job or the next role or whatever. And then I mm -hmm. push harder. I work harder. Um, and I need Josh to like sort of support me and, and, and help, help me stay there. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, other times where I've been like fully fulfilled in my job, like, okay, I'm still pushing. I'm still driving for better in this role, but yeah. I'm not seeing the next thing. Right. And so mm. sort of that, that's that maybe stability is not the right word, but that consistent fulfillment, you're like, I'm good. I like yeah. this job. It's fulfilling. Um, I'm given autonomy and agency in my work and um, that's important to me. And I'm good for right now. And then Josh has kind of accelerated or um, occupied more of that drive space. Um, and I've supported him during those times. Um, but it's an interesting notion that you can't have both. You can't have it all. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think what, what has happened um, or what can happen sometimes I mean, you know, money and communication are two pretty important parts of a relationship. Yeah. Um, As they say, money is the number one cause of divorce, which for yeah. me, I just think it's communication about money. That's the number one cause yes. of divorce. But again, 100%, I don't A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And um, yeah, it's always a bit of a, t you know, you always go into the, con I grew up in a household that nobody talks about money, no one talks about politics. Mm. The end. And so for me, always going into those conversations, I'm always like, <laughs> you know, yes, like, yeah. like this and so I have to like be aware okay this is just like an open com like conversation it's mm. fine um but you know the notion of like who makes more and just because someone makes more doesn't mean they everything then needs to revolve around right, right. their schedule and their priorities right. it just you know again the conversation around um yeah I guess that 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 level of drive that they're at, right? And and mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, Josh and I always have a conversation around um, the next thing, right? And if I was stepping into a space where like, okay, I'm gonna get, it. I see there's this new job, I want to get it, I want to like, yeah. I'm gonna go, right? And he's like, okay, so he's gonna not cool it, but he's like, okay, I got you, and that will yeah. allow me to get to my next thing, and then vice versa, right? We've yeah. we've kind of yeah continually done this over the like fifteen years that we've been together. So I don't think any one person in a partnership needs to hold that space all the time. I think it's a mm -hmm. trade off. Mm -hmm. And even just uh, so one thing I just noticed you said is um, you're saying if you, for example, wanted to go for the next step or next thing, um, and Josh said, okay, what can I do? Um, and you're going to say to cool it, but then you stopped yourself from saying that. And I think one of the things that causes that, and this is like not a therapy session at all, but like one of the things that a lot of times people will do is they don't want to, um, and maybe, maybe this is gender. Like if a woman had said, uh, I will cool it, 
um, there's no justification that goes along with that. And I noticed that you justified, um, like he's not going to cool it. He's going to support me. Um, and I think that's because there's so much identity put into like, you know, drive and by drive I mean money for some reason people value mm. the money you make as your drive um mm. and so if you're mm. cooling it that means you're not driven and I noticed that was something you did here and uh mm-hmm. the point you were talking about too like who makes the most doesn't I mean you just spend all the attention there they don't hold the power um it's just it's what you negotiate or it's what the industry looks like or things like that um but I noticed that you did that. So I was like, hmm, interesting. Because I don't know if that would be the case if it was a reverse gender uh, hmm. partner. So if you, so the, uh, interesting. And I did catch myself when I said cool it. Because I, yeah. I didn't, it's not that I would say, okay, stop being stop. driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what he was wanting to do, professionally in his field we both couldn't be like striving for the next thing at the same time Mm -hmm. and that striving for the next big thing I said role so interesting for me like Mm -hmm. I said role but it could be launching a new I don't know like it could be um I want to really um for Josh I really want to secure this partnership with Ladner Lacrosse or whatever right like Um, whatever the next big thing looks like, we both can't be reaching for that at the same time because our mm. familial life and responsibilities will suffer as a result. Right. And so, you know, COVID is a perfect example. Um, I'm so grateful and it has been very challenging, but um, Josh has been, we, we lost, we didn't lose childcare, but um, we pulled our children out of childcare mm-hmm. and, 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 um, Josh has been on, um, the CERB and he's been our primary caregiver with the children every day mm-hmm. for the last, gosh, like six and a half, seven months. Um, and I've had to work, which has been interesting because being at home, sorry, this is a complete tangent, but I love at- it. Please go on the tangents. I was going to ask you about <laughs> COVID-19 anyway, so please go on the tangents. I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> being a woman working at home mm-hmm. my job is to work and yet i am constantly torn when i'm at home yeah. and the kids are at home that i should be helping that i should be helping prep lunch if i hear screaming and running down being like is the kids okay but josh is there yeah and his responsibility my job is to work and his job is to take care he's the caregiver of our children yeah um and, and that's hard because you're at home too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be folding laundry and like this and like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at the dust on my, you know, all these things. And so you're again, like having to all of the, the different roles right now are mm-hmm. all messed around because at least when I went to work, I am there to work. I can compartmentalize that part of my life. That's my role and responsibility for those hours. And then I go pick my children up from childcare and drive them home, feed dinner, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it's been really interesting to have all of those roles um, situated in the same physical space. Um, yeah. And end of rant. (laughs) It's not a rant. It's a tangent. I love it. Um, and even like, I was going to ask you anyway, so I'll ask you with like the impacts of COVID on, um, the way we work really like work is now very much close to our home lives way more than before, even though I thought people generally had work close to their home lives. They didn't realize it but now it's just obviously in your home life. Um, have they changed or has the impacts of COVID being home, working from home, all of that changed 
even your, your view of the world of work or your approach to work or what you want to even stay in the world of work when you get a vaccine? That was a lot of questions at once. That was a lot of questions. <laughs> That's the way um, I ask them. Okay, I will use the social change model to answer that question. Okay. So, myself. Um, my self, self, you know, conceptualization of the world of work and how I like to work. I don't mind not commuting. Mm. If my children weren't up in my workspace, I think I would enjoy it more. Mm. And I am in the office, you know, periodically um, when I have, you know, seven hours of Zoom meetings or whatever, yeah. uh, or, or like, you know, HR conversations, um, I go into the office for some right. dedicated space. I really do like working in a separate space. Um, mm. I don't mind not commuting, but I do like that sort of separation, which is interesting because in first year, when I had to live in residence um, at university, I the minute I could get out of residence, I did. Mm. I think I need that separation to help me um, disconnect my like, you know, when you're a student too, like I have your academic priorities and your personal priorities. Yeah. I didn't have a life in residence. All I did was study. In my first year, I had my highest GPA. And oh, wow. In my career, academic career, highest GPA in first year. What? Nobody has that. All I, I had that, study. but by luck, honestly, because I did not <laughs> study that hard. None of that. I got a, I was in Oklahoma, oh, I hate Oklahoma people like at that point. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, Robin. I got a 4.0 GPA in my first year of university. Wow. And I tell you, I never pulled more all-nighters than oh. ever before and it was mainly because I prioritized my social life over my academic life I think also <laughs> just going to the British system a levels really yeah. sets you up for North American education yeah, yeah. um side note but then it went downhill after that <laughs> yeah, mine started. did too mine did too as I was like oh I can get involved in athletics and that yeah oh, oh hey yeah. look at all these social things and all these people here I like kind of like pulled my head up out of the sand I was like whoa yeah anyway okay um, so yes, going back to the world of work and my self understanding of that, I, I do like working somewhere that isn't in my home space. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of sort of our concept of the world of work, um, I think working in a post-secondary institution, this has rapidly accelerated what's possible. I right. think we're seeing in our work, um, greater access to our services and programs, mm. um, the amount of students who are accessing um, our workshops, let's say, accessing our resources has, yeah. has exponentially increased. And so what does this say about, you know, our transition to digital, I think education has been slow to do this and COVID yeah. has demanded an accelerated transition. And mm -hmm. some, better, some transitions have been better and smoother than others. <laughs> Um, but I think there's huge opportunity in the, the transition to digital, um, digital learning um, and digital learning environments. And um, I think we need to step into that space um, mm -hmm. and, and become more digitally, digitally literate and, and enhance our, our, our you know, understanding of digital pedagogies and what does you know, learning and learning engagement look like online. I think those are all the things that we don't, there are niche areas that do mm -hmm. know a lot about that, but that's, we all need to be stepping into that space. And what does inclusive learning environments look like? You know, all these conversations around time zones and access yeah. and, and um, closed captioning, all of those things. This is a different world for us um, in the education um, yeah. 
sector. I think lots of different organizations have been on the trend of um, flexible work environments, remote mm. working, um, setting up different types of platforms and things like that prior to COVID. Um, but I think large publicly funded research institutions, you yeah. know, that's a huge undertaking. So yeah, um, I just think this has like lit the fire and been like, okay, we have to go. We have to mm-hmm. keep the world where it's going. And mm-hmm. we're in the fourth industrial revolution and um, we need to catch up and help prepare students um, to navigate the world of work in this new way. And so self, other, and the next one is community and society and social yeah. change model. And I think, um, you know, thinking about this as the fourth industrial revolution, I mean, this was pre-COVID when people were talking about, um, what is the term? Oh, uh, digital, the digital, uh, are you talking about like, Okay, there's this one video we watched at work one time where it's like, it's coming and you need to have human skills and digital, blah, blah, blah. It's like kind of scary, but um, is that what you're talking about? Like digital? um, Hang on. Okay. I know this is, you know, people are looking at us and and waiting for something, but I have to Google something here. Hang on. Of course you do. Yeah. While you're Googling it, one of the... Oh, no. While you're Googling, one of the things that I've noticed quite a lot with the change of pace with just life um, is... And maybe because this is during summertime, but like one of the things I've noticed a lot more is like around five o'clock ish when people would have been commuting, you see a lot more like families just being in the park. And maybe it's people who are tired of staring at screens or maybe they have freer time, but there's a lot more of that. Like, I can't imagine like the amount of time you get back from maybe like two hours of commuting and you get to either spend that with family or do all these things that you would have done for your own self-care. I don't want that to go away. <laughs> like that's one thing I definitely want that's, to say. Yeah. And that's, you know, a really good point. Um, you know, COVID, Josh and I, at probably one of the like low points in COVID, mm-hmm. we were talking and Josh is forever the optimist. I'm always the pessimist and the sort of, <laughs> I like to reframe that as a realist, but you know, yeah. Um, my perception of what's real right so Mm. um we were saying you know this is probably the most time him and I have ever spent together Mm. um in life like in it together processing working alongside each other and the most time we've spent with our kids like both of us are working and um really I saw my kids on the commute to drop them off at daycare pick them up take them home feed them bath them and then yeah. I saw the weekends. Like, this is the most time that I've spent with them for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, get us out of here now. <laughs> um, so that is like, you're right. It, it is, you know, I, I always struggle to see um, the positives and the silver lining sometimes. And that is definitely one of them. Um, my youngest, watching my youngest daughter um, find her words and mm. um, has been, I wouldn't have got to watch that. Um, yeah, so that's been, that's been really nice. So that, that, um, prioritization of personal responsibilities Mm -hmm. on life, that's been really nice. And honestly, our weekends, everyone always asks me, what do you do in the weekends? I'm like, nothing, because the work week is so hectic Mm. that we just go to the beach and sit. And actually that's really nice because normally on the weekends, like, okay, swimming, dance, like all these things are kids have to be, you know, overscheduled. And I'm like, well, I'm subscribing to the same life that I had. And that's not necessarily what I want for my kids. Right. Anyway, I looked up this thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, It's it's a VUCA world, V-U-C-A. And it's, oh my God, 
validity, <laughs> uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And that's okay. the term VUCA that is talked about, about this new world idea of the world of work, that it is volatile, mm. certain, complex, and ambiguous. And so those are all the things that have happened since COVID. And so mm -hmm. I would say that this is, the world of work is becoming a VUCA world. And mm -hmm. um, how, do we, how do we navigate that? You know, we've had to. Mm -hmm. So what have we learned? I think that's the next thing for COVID too, is like for organizations and for us, um, what have we learned from this? And it's not over by any means. Yeah. But what have we learned that we can articulate for ourselves and um, continue to build on and enhance and streamline as we move forward? Because right. this, this is not going to be an experience that's just like, yeah, we did it next. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. This is like, if we are going to continually evolve and leverage what has happened, we need to stop and think about it and articulate what we've learned and how to continue to, this is me and challenge and possibility, right? Yeah. Even in this minute. <laughs> like, okay. What did we learn from it? Let's take yes. it. Right? Yeah. And everything can't go back to normal air quotes. Um, like, you know, adjusting accordingly. So you're not just running back to whatever you, what was you knew before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Would you, uh, I know that we have, very little time left, <laughs> uh, but would you do anything? And so just even thinking about just where you started off and in career and drive and just seeing how you've grown over time and then where you are now in your career, would you do anything different in your career journey? Um, is there anything you wish you had known that you know now that you would want to look at in terms of your holistic career? Sorry, I'm thinking because I don't, you know, I've asked that question to Did everything of right. Okay. We get yeah. it. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever, I've asked that question to lots of people and I don't think I've ever answered it myself. Mm. What I will say is um, if I had to describe my sort of pathway to where I am now, um, I've been an opportunist. Um, mm. So opportunities have arose that I would never would have expected. I didn't expect to leave um, the K to 12 system and come to UBC. Right. Um, but opportunity arose and I took it. I was like, sure. Um, I didn't expect to stay at UBC for longer than four years. And here I am mm -hmm. on year 11. Um, Whew. which is, yeah, like, I'm like, you know, and I feel like both like excited, but then I'm like, Oh my God, I need to get out. Like, I feel like, mm -hmm. ah. <laughs> and I don't know where that comes from. So let's like, like separate session for a second. Yeah. Um, I'll schedule a coaching session after to unpack that. I got um, you. But I think, yeah, I've, I've taken opportunities as they've come up and, um, I've just been like, okay, sure. And each opportunity has kind of taken me on a slightly different path than I originally expected. But the question that you asked, I don't think I would change anything. And I don't think if, I knew some of the things I know now at the beginning that would totally change the trajectory again. So I think mm. that, yeah, I don't think I would change anything. And I don't think any, everything that I've done has been right, but it's been yeah. what has been presented to me and I chose it. I have the mm -hmm. privilege to choose the next thing that has come up and I recognize that. And I'm very grateful for all of those opportunities and I wouldn't be here without all of them. And each one of them took me on a different kind of, trajectory that taught me new things about myself and work and career and what I want to do in the world. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I, um, I'm just, you know, I very, I don't often have the time to like think and appreciate about where I've been and, and mm-hmm. where, how I've gotten to where I am. And I'm very, very grateful, um, for the people who have supported me in my career and, um, to date and the opportunities that I have had. And I just continue to learn and, um, I'm excited for whatever's next. And I don't know whatever's next. I don't have yeah. that. Like, this is the next thing. I'm not, okay, no, I don't need to be a director and a VP and all the things. Like I yeah. don't have that necessarily. I think I would like to if they came up. Yeah. Um, like who's going to say no to that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but, but if I think about what's brought me here has been an unexpected opportunity that I've been like, okay, sure. Yeah. And so part of me is just like, just wait, it'll, it'll mm. be okay. And you don't need to, sometimes I get lost in that sort of the grind about what ambition, like the white woman in the power suit. I kind of get yeah. lost in that sometimes. I'm like, well, wait, why, why am I, who put this on me or why mm. am I falling into that pattern again? Cause that's not what I've, that's not, that hasn't been my path so far. Mm, so why that's, am I, that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Why am I all of a sudden feeling the need to like, <laughs> yeah, the thing I'm falling into like the shooting on myself kind of mm. pattern, which that hasn't been what's brought me to this place. So why am I all of a sudden feeling the need to like, and then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your reality versus what you, you think you should be doing. And like, even the question of like, who put this on me? Um, huge yeah there are times where i'll be driving for something i'm like why like i don't even why like this has never been a characteristic of mine yeah exactly (laughs) time out like what is going on here why am i stressing about this blah 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 like yeah that's not true to who i am for example yeah 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 i think those moments those moments are so important like Mm -hmm. when you when you're like wait what this feels this isn't me if you can catch yourself in those moments and be like wait this is so not what i want right now and then where Mm -hmm. is this coming from where is the, and usually it's when you're compare. like for me, it's when I'm comparing myself. It's like, agreed. Me too. hundred percent. Or a colleague or a friend has gotten the next big thing or bought a house. Mm. And like, Oh my God, panic. I, I need a house. I need like yeah. six rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait, why? Like, yeah. Why? Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a very good point. Like in just so many things like comparison and then just random goals put on you by others. Yeah. Identify your own goals. Yes. And stick to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I usually end off. This has been really good. I like hearing your career, your thoughts on career and your thoughts on how you got to your career. A lot of times we're talking about other people's careers in our work. Um, so it's always good to hear from you personally. Um, and you do, you do coaching. So if anybody wants to, uh, get Robin's services, you can get Robin services. I will tag all the things for people to know, but I usually end off every episode with a question from the guest to me. Oh, yes. You get to ask me a question. One question only. I was going to tell you this before I totally forgot. (laughs) I got to think for a second. Okay, go ahead. I mean, I think, you know, on the topic of today, um, we talked a little bit at the beginning about, you know, the word ambition mm-hmm. um, and f- what I, what my concept and understanding and um, lack of connection in my case, the word ambitious. And you said, 
you don't necessarily think of yourself as ambitious either. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't think of yourself as ambitious, when you think about, you know, life and career, because I don't think you can just be ambitious in your yeah. career. That's all of who you are as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe yourself in one word if ambitious wasn't it? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so people have described me as ambitious. I don't know why. I still, I truly, truly do not understand why. Um, I wouldn't consider myself ambitious in any way. Um, and the reason I say that is because, like you were saying, you think of ambitious people as people who are like, it's never enough, and you're always just, I have looked at the word ambition as it's never enough, always going for the next thing. I, I can't sit still with what I have. Um, and I don't want to have that label. A lot of times, too, ambition is looked as the person who is willingly going to step on the person next to them to get ahead. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. I'm sure if I Googled the definition of ambitious, that would not be the definition. But it's been... Um, it's been assigned to a lot of white men, and let's be real, is like that, those characteristics, and I don't want to have those characteristics. So I would describe myself as purpose-driven. Um, it's a very, very cliche word, and it's all of that kind of stuff, but I know that there have been times when, and you know this, you know, like from, from supervising me, there were so many things, I'm like, I don't get the why behind this, so I'm having a hard <laughs> time hopping onto this idea. But the minute I understand the why behind something and the purpose, I will work very hard to do it. Um, and then there have been times I've done things because I'm just like, well, you're my, you're my boss and I have to do this and I don't get the why, so I'm going to yell the whole time about the fact that I don't get the why. But for me, I'm very much why-driven. Like, if I know why I'm doing something, it's so much easier for me to flow along with it. So whether that's in my... Um, whether that's in like work or in like the Mm -hmm. jobs that I search for or in like every time, sometimes I've applied for jobs that I didn't really love, but I saw the paycheck, like the amount they'd be paying. I'm like, Ooh, that's going to be nice for my rent. But then I'm like, actually, why am I like, would I like this job? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on a second, ma'am. Um, or like even in my, like my relationship with like, if I think about my relationship with Will, like the why, like I had a hard time, um, before we started dating, being like, why do you want to date me? And why do I want to date you? Or like, why do I want to move to Toronto? Why do I want to earn well, this amount why? of money? Why? Well, like, literally, it was one of those. Because he'd be like, I saw you in my future. I'm like, what? How? <laughs> why? <laughs> Tell me all the things. Yeah, so I'm very purpose-driven and like impact-driven. Um, that's how I describe myself. I just happen to also be seen as always wanting to be better in my purpose and my impact and all of that. So ambition becomes the word people use. I have one more question. If you have time. Okay. You time. Being per- yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get in there. I don't know. I didn't even wait for you to say, okay, I'm just going to ask. <laughs> being purpose driven. What is your purpose? Mm. You yo-yo. What is your Me, purpose yo-yo. in life and a- the world? Very good question. Um, so we luckily have had the chance to do uh, strengths finders. Um, and my top strengths are always ones that are in the people aspect of things. One, it might be because I'm a people pleaser. That's a problem that I need to go to therapy for. So I'll put that on the side. Um, on the shelf, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll sit on a couch for that one. Um, but uh, people driven, I'm very, very people driven. So a lot of my, my top strengths are like harmonizer, includer, uh, communicator, uh, like all of those like people focused things. And so if I think about my purpose, uh, I like the work we do because I see the impact it has, for example, on our students. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've always thought about, you know, whenever I moved around growing up, 
there were always these people who were there to welcome us or to make our experience better. And so when I've looked at the jobs that I've done that have made me feel the most fulfilled, it's when I can see the impact that will have like right now on students um, and in their career confidence, their career journey, their feeling of having networks um, and in developing oneself. And so I used to want to be a psychologist for that reason is I want to help people just kind of get to the best that they can be um, in whatever way that shows up in an organization that can show up in talent development or things like that within what we do now it can show up in like student coaching things like that or even the work I do now with with employers uh, for me my drive to always engage with the employers is I'm not a I wouldn't consider myself a business development person is that I want to know what I can do to make your experience getting the best help out there. Um, so yeah. in my personal life, that shows up in community. I, I think I had told you this, like, I think Vancouver is an extremely lonely place. Um, yeah. So I always want to do what I can to connect people or to have people feel like they have a community, they have a home. At least with me, you always have a home. We might not be best friends, but I want you to feel like you always have a home with me. Um, home is very, uh, the feeling of safe home is very important to me. Mm. So whether that's mm -hmm. in a person or in a place, um, I want to try my best to provide that. So that was a very long-winded way to say, yeah, the safe home thing, personally and, and professionally and things like that very much drives me. Yeah. People and community. People and community. Look at that. You summarize my five-minute elevator pitch into <laughs> the actual 30 seconds it should be. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thank yeah. you for answering my second question. <laughs> of course, of course. Like you're, I think only one other person has ever asked for a second question. So I like y'all. Oh, so thank I, you. I give you the chance to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, Robin, for joining me today. I appreciate it. I know that you have, it's what, it's now nine o'clock in Vancouver. So early in the day, thank you for joining me. Um, I appreciate chatting to you all the time. You are my, my unofficial official life coach. So this is a good conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Know, you. This was fun. I appreciate it.